to the Vichara podcast. My name is Hansa Devi and I am your host. Today we have the privilege of speaking with Annie Pace again. We're here at Shakti Sharanam in Creston, Colorado. It's the 9th of August 2020. We're in the midst of the COVID pandemic. It's a crazy year and it feels really grounding and anchoring to speak to Annie during this time in particular. She has over 40 years of experience of studying the yogic sciences, largely in India. And because she has such a long history in the yogic sciences or with yogic practices, I wanted to talk to her about a home practice and what that can look like and key components of that. So in this juicy conversation, we're talking about moon days and rest days and the ebbs and flows of motivation and continuity showing up for yourself Um, we talk about intention the goal the aim that drives us we talk about devotion we talk about how you show up or with what attitude or inner atmosphere you show up we talk about adversity and resistance we talk about detachment we talk about permission to listen to our inner guidance and to listen to the teachings that are held within the practice itself I hope that you enjoy this deep dive with Annie Pace as much as I did. Here we go. Sahana Bhavatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahiryam Karabhavahari Tejasina Bhaditamastu Thank you for making the time. No problem. Today we want to talk about home practice. We have, both you and I have been encountered with people that have a hard time maintaining a home practice in this day and age where we're kind of forced to not be with our local sangha, shala, teacher, what have you. And we want to talk about key components of what a practice can entail and then also go into juicy subjects like motivations, modifications and such. And uh, we would love to hear what you have to say about all of this stuff. So when we talk about home practice, Annie, what is a home practice to you? Well, first, <laughs> in the Annie Pace way, let's back up a minute. <laughs> what do you mean by practice? Mm-hmm. So practice, it's a big subject. Mm-hmm. So um, I could assume, because I know you, yeah. that you're talking about yogic sorts of practices Mm -hmm. Um, but practice there's lots of kinds of practices so I believe that the conversation we're going to have here today could be applicable to any practice at all that doesn't necessarily have to be officially yoga oriented at least this first part of the conversation Mm -hmm. so what is practice can we define that so In my pea brain, generally, if one is going to practice something, there's usually some sort of a goal Mm -hmm. or an aim. Mm -hmm. What is the goal? 
right? Like practicing, learning to ride a bicycle. <laughs> yep. Learning to play an instrument, the violin, mm -hmm. what, whatever that is, that's a practice. And we need to remember as well that there are 64 Indian sciences that can lead a person to liberation, yeah. to the same goal, mm -hmm. to the, the big goal, yep. <laughs> right? That big goal isn't necessary to establish, establish a practice or experience the benefits of a practice. Exactly. So it's a big topic. Yes. Um, so let's say we're learning to play an instrument. In yogic practices, we are basically learning to play and tune the instrument of our human system. So our human system is comprised of our body, our mind, and our five sense organs. Mm -hmm. Now, that in yogic science gets broken down further and further and further, and we won't go into the minutia mm -hmm. about that, but basically we're blessed to have this instrument of a human body. Indeed. Um, we don't go out without it <laughs> until we really go out and then it's over. <laughs> so, <laughs> so until, until we're, we actually experience death, there is breath flowing in this human body that is keeping us alive to whatever capacity the rest of our body works as far as our organs and our limbs and everything else. You know, if we're, we, this is something that um, we spoke about a little bit in the, the previous podcast about mm -hmm. what ties us together as human beings. Mm -hmm. You know, let's, let's focus on that as opposed to what's separating us right now. Absolutely. It's like two, duality, like way overboard. So we all have a human system. As mm -hmm. long as we're alive, we have a system that's comprised of seven datus and binatis and all the other bits and pieces. So within this human body, one could have a goal or an aim of liberation mm -hmm. to ultimately be done with having bodies anymore, mm -hmm. to realize God. Or one could have a goal to be out of suffering and experience less pain mm -hmm. in their life, mm -hmm. to be able to experience more independence if, if capacity. Does, you know, if you're not, don't have the capacity of a, a really healthy human body. Mm -hmm. So there's so many levels upon which we can work, but the same principles generally apply. Yeah. You know, and if it, it's helpful to have a goal. Yeah, for sure. And this is, this is one of the problems is that what is, what are, what is the intention mm -hmm. behind all the actions that we take? Yeah. Are we even aware of that? So that's a good place to start. Yeah, for sure. You know, what is our intention? Yes. What is our goal? What is, what's the point anyway? So um, whatever that is, if we're wanting to learn something and wanting to practice something, the biggest piece of that to start, and then, so this would be this part of the conversation towards a beginning practitioner, you're beginning to learn something. Yeah. Right, I'm beginning to learn that violin. <laughs> yeah. What do I have to do? Practice a lot. Well, I have to have access to a violin. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to show up. Yeah. 
I have to have enough commitment that I can show up and at least practice five minutes a day mm -hmm. or I'm not going to get anywhere. So um, I think that would be a good segue now, if I may, yeah. into this Sanskrit word called abhyasa, mm -hmm. which is the practice part of practice. It's the showing up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so often that's the hardest part. Yeah, us humans, huh? And the mind telling yeah, us not to do that. How long did I procrastinate, like, <laughs> finding a violin teacher and buying the instrument and, yeah. you know, whatever that is. Or, you know, around here, there have been people threatening to come to my yoga classes for 22 years. <laughs> <laughs> You're so intimidating. <laughs> so, so, because I am so intimidating. Oh, gosh. They are so afraid. And they will admit that. And they'll walk in and it's like, okay, I've been meaning to do this for 20 years now. <laughs> Finally, I made it. So, so that's huge. The yeah. showing up and, and stepping into the lioness den. Yeah. Or whatever that field is that might not feel completely comfortable yeah. to us. And knowing that's the mind's voice just trying to get in the way. we got to get our own way. Right. And, yeah. you know, what stops us? Well, fear, mostly. Fear yeah. of the unknown. Yeah. Um, but how are we going to grow and progress if we only do the things we can already do? Exactly. So... Yeah, we're talking about expansion it's, here. And yeah, it's not, we're sort. not talking about performance. Yeah. We're exactly. talking about growth. Yes. Growth on all levels. So this showing up part and practicing, the Sanskrit word is abhyasa. This is um, addressed in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. We don't need to know what the Sanskrit words are. It's, Can you explain it's not, that in your words, though? It, yeah. It's not rocket science. No. In order for any practice to work, really... Mm -hmm. We need to show up, but we need to show up consistently. Mm -hmm. Not just every once in a while when we kind of feel like it. Yep. And we need to practice over a long period of time. Yep. And that doesn't mean three days in a row or three weeks in a row or even three years in a row. Mm -hmm. You know, years in a row. Yep. So showing up consistently, this means mostly daily. We, it's like brushing our teeth, putting on our clothes, whatever it is we do every day. It becomes part of our day, mm -hmm. even if it's not for a long period of time. Yeah. You know, five minutes a day, but daily. Yeah. Over a long period of time. And the third ingredient in that recipe is with pure intention or with devotion. Yeah. So in many spiritual practices and yogic practices, often that intention changes over time. Yeah, and that's a fascinating part to watch. And that, it is fascinating, and, mm -hmm. and that would indicate to me that the practice is actually working. Yeah. You know, so that we showed up initially because we wanted to be out of pain. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, maybe we got out of pain, and then we got curious about other aspects and how this bleeds into the rest of our life in a good way. Yeah. So that thirst is created. Yep. This would indicate that there is authentic teaching going on. Yeah. Right? All my teachers have said, you know, the, the role of the teacher is to provoke the thirst or the hunger in the student. Hmm. So that there is this craving for something more. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's healthy. Yeah. It's like having a healthy appetite. Yeah. 
eat when you're hungry, you yeah. know, when, when the hunger comes on at the right time of day for the right foods, we eat, we feed that. Yeah. So that happens on so many levels. Um, and the intention might change as we go along, but it's nice to check in with that and be clear about what, why are we doing this anyway? Mm-hmm. You know, and do that often. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And sometimes we keep, we crave that and we're moving along the path and we might not understand why it's working. But do we need to understand that? We don't. No. But <laughs> it's helpful to have a few little dots that can be connected. True, because the mind likes that to come along on the ride. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this is the first thing that I do when I have students come here. Mm-hmm. The first conversation we have is, what on earth possessed you to come here? <laughs> like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. You know, what are your questions? What are your intentions? Mm-hmm. What do you want to know? What are your requests? So that I get to know my students, mm-hmm. get to understand their minds a little bit if they are new to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time a woman I hadn't met before, she, I said, well, you know, got any questions, requests? What do, we, what do we want to talk about? What do we need to address? And she said, I want to know why this works. <laughs> How many hours do you got? Yeah, well, you know, I keep coming back to this and it's challenging and it's not easy for me and it's hard for me to show up, but I keep coming back Mm -hmm. because something is happening that is good. Mm -hmm. So we don't necessarily need to understand all of that. Mm -hmm. If we have someone who can fill in the blanks, it can be helpful to have, you know, the the science behind what we're doing. But what we're getting is experience. And a little taste of that peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And so it's like experiencing the essence yeah. of whatever it is. Yeah. Even if we can't play a big long piece with the symphony orchestra, you know, yeah. the essence of, oh, that's what that's supposed to sound like. Mm-hmm. That's how that is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So the more little reference points like that we can drop, Mm-hmm. Right? The more we're essentially cutting a new groove. Yeah. yeah. And I find some students really cut themselves short because they are almost too fixed on, I want to be able to f- perform this and this and this, that they lose connection with all of these golden nuggets that they get along the way. So it's easy to overlook. Exactly. Exactly. And this happens all the time. Yeah. Like looking way over there, yeah. Then was like, hey, what's in front of your face? And it's quite magical, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. wow, when you're hiking the trail, mm-hmm. you know, you can only think about getting to that top of that peak, but look what's in front of you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so that's a practice in itself to it, bring yourself back to that it again. Totally is. again. And this is it's mindfulness. Yeah, it's totally again not rocket science, but not always easy. Why is it difficult? Because the mind is distracted. Yeah. Right. The mind has the five sense organs always sucking it out there, yeah. creating distraction, creating distraction, so mm-hmm. that we lose track, we don't notice. Mm-hmm. So calling that back in yoga practices always through the breath. Yeah. You know, it's like we, we that is one thing we we always have with us. It's our anchor. It's our anchor. So I hope this is making sense as far as practice Mm -hmm. in general, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know who the audience is today listening, but these principles of practice 
they morph a little bit. The principles remain the same, I guess. Our relationship to them morph a little bit over yeah. time. Yeah. So the, the biggest hurdle in the beginning is to show up yeah. and get that daily practice going on. And right now, there is an extreme lack of support groups and live gatherings for people who have a tendency to practice something together or have a teacher that has a live class and everything's going on on Zoom or not happening or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And so that's making it even more challenging right now for people who are beginning yep. a practice. Yep. It's hard. Yeah, for sure. I feel It just is. is. Yeah, totally. It just is. Mm-hmm. So... Um, in the context of this conversation, hopefully we'll give some pointers yeah. to, for that beginner, um, trying to get on the boat, yeah. you know? So in the beginning, that's the biggest challenge is just showing up, doing it mm-hmm. in order to do that. We need to at least understand a few of the basic things that we need to be doing, mm-hmm. you know, and to have an intention, um, have maybe some little goal or something mm-hmm. to bring us to the mat or the meditation cushion or to the violin or whatever it is. Yep. So um, we show up, and that's the consistency part, showing up daily. Yep. You know, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So, so often, five minutes a day can be. A thousand times more powerful than once a week or once every two weeks. Yeah. And this is kind of the Western way of doing things. Like, I'll just be the weekend warrior. Mm-hmm. You know, I won't practice anything in between and then I'm going to go sign up for a weekend intensive. Yeah. And kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and do those intensive things that happen quite sporadically. Do the teachings get integrated? Probably not. To me, it just feeds the monkey mind in a sense. The moment you said that, it just felt very erratic and yeah. Yeah. So little bits. And this is where we need to be kind with ourselves and give yourself permission. Do five minutes today. Yeah. And it counts. Yeah. And do five minutes, you know, five days in a row. Yeah. And that's going to count so much more than a big chunk of time and some big intensive thing every once in a while. Yeah. Okay, what I'm saying is not rocket science, is it? I mean, no, 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 no. What? Why are we having this conversation? Why are we doing this podcast? Yeah. Because we're here to help each other, and we're here to remind each other. Yeah. It's so hard for a lot of us to take that responsibility and hone it in. It's, it's on me to get this done. It's not my teacher. It's not my shala. It's not my group or my sangha. It's really my responsibility because I'm doing this for me. And I'm doing it so, so I can actually share my heart, you yeah. know, and expand. Yeah. Because even if you're in a class live yeah. and someone is kind of holding your hand through the practice, they can't do the practice for you. No, exactly. So it's actually it's a possible. grand opportunity we have right now in the world to really distill the teachings and take that responsibility. Take the responsibility and be able to... Um, do these practices in the privacy of your own home without getting in a car or going to class or making a big deal of it. It can be more potent. It can be so much more potent. And I've had this experience. So this is Annie Pay's personal experience. Mm-hmm. I never lived nearby any of my yoga teachers. Same like me. You know, I was, even when I was in the front range yep. um, near Denver in Colorado, 
I was minimum 45 minute drive from any class or any teacher. Usually it was more than that. Yep. Did I do that drive every single day and go to class? <laughs> I did not. I was, you know, I had a life. <laughs> so I would go to class once a week, twice a week, the rest of the days. I would take what I learned and I would practice at home. Yeah. And not everyone has had that opportunity early on to establish the home practice. Yeah. I know that there are people in Boulder, Colorado, Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> who practiced with Richard Freeman yeah. for 20, 30 years, right? All the whole time he was there. Yeah. And his teachers and the lovely Sangha there. Yeah. And I need to express my gratitude to Richard and the whole Boulder community from way, way back. Yeah. It's amazing. But I also know that many of the students were pretty much 99% dependent on going to class in order to practice. Mm. Right? And the people who live in big cities, in New York City, and any, any place you go, how many classes are usually happening every day? Yeah, thousands. When I used to sub for Chuck and Mati way back when at, at Yoga Works, those people would come in every single day, mm-hmm. you know, five or six days a week yeah. at 5.30 in the morning so they could do their practice before they went off to work. Yeah. You know, and that was great. It was community and everything. But did these people know what it was like to go home and just put down their mat at home? Yeah. With no one else there. <laughs> with no one holding their hand mm-hmm. without the community. Many, many people um, couldn't do that yeah. and still can't do that. And so now we're really finding that challenging. With, yeah. You know, not so many classes going on. Okay. So that, that has given an advantage, I believe, to some of us who never had the convenience factor yeah. in our life yeah. that we had to do it at home. You yeah, know? and this is what personally I loved about the Ashtanga system is that it was a very precise methodology and system. So I didn't go home wondering, well, gosh, what should I do? Yeah, you know, it was very, very clearly prescribed. So anyway, that's the the bit about showing up. Yep. Right, and getting a practice established. Then something happens after we're used to showing up all the time, and we're we're seeing progress and we're getting better at whatever it is we're doing, then this I would call the adolescence of our practice. Wow, we're progressing, we're exploring, we're getting better, aren't we good? I want more. Mm -hmm. There comes more of the tendency to be over-attached to the practice. Yeah, certainly. No, I can't save the drowning child. I have to do my practice. I I have to, you know, blow off something because I got to do my practice as if we own it. Yeah, it's creating a new identity. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the practice is a gift. Yeah. You know, and it's also an offering ultimately on our behalf. But it's inevitable we go through this little phase of having attachment to it. And of course, there could certainly be worse attachments. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is what happens, is perhaps um, the, the more harmful attachments that we had start to be replaced with more helpful exactly. attachments. So as long as we are in these human bodies, there will be attachment. Yeah, it's inevitable. Until we're liberated, yeah. there will be attachment. Mm-hmm. So over time and maturity, these attachments become more refined yeah. and they become more helpful. And we have attachment 
to our spouse, to our family, to our guru, to our sangha, you know, those things that are going to help us. So, you know, so that's kind of that adolescent. I'm so attached. I got to practice every single day. And then, but it serves a purpose too, though, because further down the line, you can reflect on that. So it's feeding into the whole maturation of everything. In a sense, it's part of the evolution of it. Absolutely. So then at the end or latter stages of practice, this maturity has evolved. Mm. So on a practical level, the maturity has evolved because we can very quickly go deep in the practice. Yeah. I don't have to warm up for two hours on my violin before I can play the song. Yeah. You know, I can pretty much go there. Yeah. The same in an asana practice or meditation practice. Mm-hmm. You, you, because that depth of that reference point has been consistently built in yeah. over a long period of time. Yeah. So the practice itself becomes much more efficient. Yeah. And we don't need as many minutes on the clock to reach the same place. Yeah. That makes sense? Absolutely. Totally. I can totally... Yeah. It's home. You can pretty much just go there. Yeah. And this programming happens on a cellular level. Oh, for sure. In the body. So Mm -hmm. then maybe we'll talk more about details of when we practice and stuff like that. But if you're practicing at the same time every day, Mm -hmm. you know, your human system is going to go into that mode. (laughs) Even if you're not doing your formal practice. Yeah. Right? Because it's been inbuilt. Totally. Right. This has always been very difficult for me to have to go through airports early in the morning. Mm. Wait a minute. That was my meditation time. Yeah. I'm supposed to be in a calm zone. Yeah. It's the opposite. (laughs) That's your biggest gift in that moment is the practice right there. Right. (laughs) There it is. And then when you're really mature in your practice, you can just be in that zone as you're going through security. (laughs) And it's all cool because it's all the same. Exactly. And we have lost our attachment to what that looks like externally. Yeah. Right. And so this letting go, this detachment is the other side of the showing up. Yeah. Right? The showing up and practicing is the abhyasa part. Yeah. And then the name for this detachment in Sanskrit is called vairagya. Yeah. And no one needs to remember what that is, but it's this being detached enough so that when the drowning child <laughs> is there, you go there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. That's yeah. your that's your practice. Yeah. So it becomes much more fluid and much more efficient. Mm-hmm. So I would venture to say that the more mature we are in a practice, the easier it is for us to transition into a home practice or take it outside of our what we've been used to in the past as, mm-hmm. far, as far as having a group or a live practice together. Yeah. Or a class or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And on that same type of note you mentioned the same time of day are there other things like that that you would recommend for people when they are beginning um i guess that's setting the rules setting the stage yeah setting the stage absolutely so um it's great if you can carve out time at the same time every day it's not essential but it's good if you can do that it's good if you can have a dedicated space yeah or at least the same space that you go to practice every day. Mm-hmm. 
Um, not everyone has a music room or a yoga room in their home, but there might be a few square feet. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, and that you also have the support if you live with other human beings, that you have their support. Yeah. You know, it's mommy's practice time. Yeah. Give me 10 minutes mm. and I'll be back. Yeah. Like that. And, it, and that's the second thing is that it needs to be realistic. Yeah, that's a huge part. You know, and if you have a, a newborn and a toddler, <laughs> doing a two-hour practice every day is not realistic. Yeah. I mean, you might have enough support some days, but, you know, so the practice becomes shorter in time, in whatever time we can carve out. Yeah. We need to give ourselves permission to do just that much. Yeah. And to not have a goal that is appropriate for someone else. Yeah. This striving thing. Yeah. You know, and this happens a lot in the asana world, music world, whatever. It's like, oh, well, I have to like do all these poses and I have to do this and I have to be able to play this piece or whatever it is. And if we get too caught up in that, yeah. we're going to miss that flower on the trail right in front of us. Totally. And that's really the essence of the practice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it certainly requires a teacher at some point who can set a point of reference. Yeah. So that that is inbuilt and you have an idea what to be on the lookout for. Yeah. It, it might not happen all the time. In Ashtanga Yoga, this is like the elusive Mula Banda. Yeah. <laughs> right? Totally. At least know what to be on the lookout for. <laughs> you will find it one day. It actually happens. It won't blow you out of water, you know? <laughs> and then don't get attached, of course. Yeah. Well, to me, it all boils down to how you show up. It's not necessarily what yeah. the practice is or how long, you know, you find what works for you, but it is that you show up, number one, and then how you show up with what type of intention, what type of heart, what type of offering yeah. of you. Yeah, well, and even if you show up with a really shitty attitude, you show up anyway. Oh, for sure. And then, get, then you get to see your patterns. That's the juicy yeah. part. you get to watch. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, you know, it's like, I've practiced days where I'm like, Okay, all right, everything sucks, I'm in pain, you know, nothing's going right, but I, and, I, and I understand that I am just going through the motions. Yeah. But I'm going to go through the motions anyway yeah. and just see what happens. And 99% of the time, just getting on board, you know, doing some preliminary movements or motions yeah. will draw you into deep and correct action. Yeah. So you got to show up and see what happens. Exactly. And not pow through. That's not what you mean. It's not no. going hard or fierce or doing no. your full thing. You're just one step at a time. And see so how far you step, go. Baby step, baby step, yeah. baby breath. And that's important. By we, breath, yeah. by breath. So that we don't make anything too unachievable, too complex. You know, and the, the human mind loves to do that. It likes to yeah. overthink things. But it's so easy to be kind to others, but it's harder to be kind to yourself. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad we're having this conversation because... It, we feel like we need permission and mm-hmm. you know you have had a long experience now we're talking asana then that you have had you've been through every stage pretty much and so what's after this adolescence yeah I'm probably in the old stage now <laughs> in the wise stage in the, in the postmenopausal 
So is that a good segue into modifications, or is there some more to talk about in that later stage? Um, no, I think that, that, that's good. Yeah. So what do you mean, modifications? Well, you were saying if, if you've had an injury or you're in pain ah. and you still go on the mat, and like, how do you cater right. to, yeah. In the midst of adversity. Exactly. A little you bit are of... not in your prime shape. Yeah. Maybe you're in a space that doesn't feel quite right, or your body is broken, yeah. or whatever that is. Or as of right now, a lot of people feeling depleted, fatigued, very, there's just so much uncertainty, it's like bringing them down to the point of depression. Like when there's, you know, you need to step out of your regular practice pretty much. What do you do? You do something. You show up and you breathe. Yeah. You know, those are the two things. And even if it's your violin practice that you just can't quite face it. You play the scales up and down twice. Or, or you, <laughs> you, you take 10 deep breaths yeah. before you start. You know, so the breath isn't just applicable to yoga practice. No, for sure. You know, it's, a, it's our life force. It's our connection um, to the prana, to the divine, to the source energy of everything. So how do, how do we access that when we are feeling depleted in our body system? Yeah. You go to the breath. You know, and, and different practices have specified techniques. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a, a very wide range. Mm-hmm. So... If we can show up and be present, and then whatever our practice is, do we have an understanding of the practice enough that we know what is the fundamental basis of the practice? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the foundation? Yeah. Say, if you're learning a, a posture in asana, mm. what is supposed to be grounded? From what place are we moving? Yeah. So if we have an understanding of what our foundation or our ground is, Mm -hmm. and then what is the intended action? Mm -hmm. If you know those two things, you can be a little explorer yourself. Yeah. You've experienced the, my vertical model of the sun citations, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you, you practice when you have a broken arm? Yeah. You have an arm in a sling, you have, a broken wrist or you have something something what whatever it is well there's a way if you really understand what it is you're looking for yeah so that practices can be modified yeah and still be correct and we can still benefit if we are not modifying away from the intended foundation yeah and action yeah yeah. And that's, that's something I love being in your Meister room and seeing how you, you're so intuitively reading people and modifying however they need. And it's usually not ever the same modification, you know, between two people. Well, yeah, but we're never in, none of us in are any in the same body. Room. Yeah, totally. And so, and I also like how you said you got to listen in because in a sense, the practice itself, no matter the type of practice, the practice is the teacher. And exactly. you will be guided. And we need to give ourselves permission mm-hmm. and be willing to be the little explorer yeah. in our practice and realize no one can do this for us. Yeah. You know, and if we can have a clear communication line with our teacher mm-hmm. about, Hey, this is what's going on today. Yeah. And this classical way of doing something is not going to work. Yeah. 
what should I do? Mm -hmm. You know, my conversation with that student would be, well, what's supposed to be happening here? Yeah. You know, what, what's the foundation? What's the action? What's supposed to be going on? Yeah. And I say, so how could you recreate that? Yeah. Maybe you need to have a different relationship to gravity. Yeah. And not pu be putting any weight on your wrist today. Yeah. How could you recreate that action that's supposed to be going on in your thoracic spine, yeah. for example? Yeah. Right? And let them explore. This is why it's such a, like, a, one, it's a lifetime practice no matter what you do, but it's also so multi-layered. It's so, to me, this is the fascinating part. When you can't do what you want to do or what you, quote unquote, are supposed to do, or you're healing from something, but you are actually learning from the healing process so much if you just go there and you're Absolutely. humble and you're, you know, you're, you're a student to your own practice. Yeah. And, and sometimes... We miss the boat. We yeah. miss that opportunity. But it's I've hard. had so many opportunities. <laughs> so many accidents and injuries and yeah. you know, all these physical oddities going on to this, you know, previous asana queen. Mm -hmm. You know, did it ever stop me from practicing? No. Yeah. And look at all of the gems that you've got out of that because you exactly. have been coherent and listening. I had to slow down. Yeah. And that's had, another thing. Slow I had down. to pay attention to yeah. those flowers on the trail and you know, all the little bits and pieces. So that's the other boon of doing something consistently. Indeed. Right? Is that we get to experience the little nuances. Yeah. We have a long-term relationship with the practice. Yeah. Just like if we have a long-time relationship with another human being. Mm -hmm. Right? So in the beginning of a human being relationship, we might need to be explaining things to each other. Yeah. Right? Or to your spouse or, mm -hmm. you know, the dating phase. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I don't date anymore. <laughs> right? And then after you've been married for 50 some years, you, know, you don't have to have the conversation. Yeah. You look at your spouse and they know exactly what you mean. There are the little nuances that are there yeah. that come from something that happens consistently over a long period of time. So if we're doing a different flavor of yoga or exercise or playing a different instrument every day of the week, yeah. right, we're not going to uh, get to experience those little nuances that yeah. we do otherwise. Yeah. That's an important point because it's also in our time. We, I mean, we're in this era of distraction with information and the sense organs being out here all the time. So it's this is to me what is the remedy also to a lot of these attention deficit deficit mm -hmm. type of issues um, to hone it back in. Yeah. To the same place again and yeah, again. Again and again, and yeah. then all kinds of really beautiful things will present themselves. Yeah, for sure. You know, and this, the, it's unending yeah. if we're really present. Yeah. So that's really what any practice mm -hmm. you know, teaches us to do is to be present. Yeah. You know, and then we can be present in their other 23 hours of the day mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So we talked about slowing down. Mm -hmm. um, what about in the Ashtanga system, we have certain set rest days mm -hmm. um, that I find extremely important actually. And I have reverence for my day off in a great way. Um, will you speak to rest days and why it is important and um, 
why it could be difficult to take a day off sometimes. Well, difficult to take a day <laughs> off would come in that adolescent part of our practice where there's that overattachment. Yeah. And you're not going to tell me what day to take off. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to, even if I am on my period, I'm going to practice anyway because it feels good. <sighs> yeah. You know? So you get a, get a lot of this in different lineages, different um, paths have different rules, yes. if you will, yeah. or protocols around taking days off. In Ashtanga yoga specifically, we would take off the new moon day, full moon day, and a lady's holiday Mm -hmm. when a woman is on her menstrual cycle. And there's a very rock solid reason for that, (laughs) you know, because of the particular techniques that we use in the Ashtanga practice. When a woman is bleeding, it is absolutely backwards to how the energy should be flowing when we're practicing. Yeah. You know, so in the practice, we're trying to cultivate an upward flow of energy from the bottom of the pelvic floor and engaging the bandhas and so on. Yeah. Um, those words might not make sense to people who are not Ashtanga practitioners. But energy but, moving up. But energy moving yeah. up. And so, you know, energy needs to, demands to be moving downward when a woman is bleeding. Yeah. So those are rest dates. Yeah. You know, there are certainly some passive restorative kind of postures that are appropriate to do yeah but you need to let go of the classical way of practicing ashtanga yeah and you can do more contemplative practices i mean there's other limbs to the practice other well there are other bits but but also we need to be careful with that because i would say in ashtanga practice the techniques of of ujjayi pranayama mulabandha drishti and all that they're they're pretty tangible, mm-hmm. right? They're right there. We notice yep. they're happening or not. Yep. There are other practices and other lineages. For example, if you go um, into a Brahmin household or into a Hindu temple, you would be asked not to par- go into the temple yeah, that's or true. to participate if you were menstruating. Yeah, true. And many people don't understand this. Mm-hmm. And... and I know people who, who weren't, that wasn't explained to them mm-hmm. at an ashram somewhere yeah. and they stormed out and would never go back to that place because they thought they were being put down or yeah. they were dirty or something like yeah. that. When in reality, these protocols are more of a protection mechanism yeah. for women yeah. so that this upward and downward flow internally don't get messed up. Yeah. So if we're doing a very tangible mulabandha practice, mm-hmm. okay, that's one thing. But if we're doing a puja mm-hmm. practice and we're chanting mantras and we're ringing a bell mm-hmm. and we're waving a light and we do this repeatedly and we're doing the puja, we're doing these mm-hmm. ceremonies. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's not as recognizable. Yeah. But any practice or activity that we do that opens up the energy channels, the nadis, yeah. and invites in more of the sattvic energy, which in yoga practices is desired, yeah. the energy starts flowing upward in the system. Yeah. We might not even notice that. Yeah, even in meditation, I can see that. Yeah. Right? 
So I think it's it's worth spending a moment on this. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. In Native it. American tradition, mm-hmm. right? You, moon hut, you go. Yeah. Right. Honor that time. Yeah. And some of it does. People will appreciate this if they understand a little bit of the science. Yeah, totally. Right. That it's not about your bad, your dirty. Yeah. It's no, you you're you're doing this. Yeah, your right system now. needs to rest. Your system is doing this. Yeah. And if you participate in this activity, it's going to be cultivating the opposite. Yeah. So not only can this be damaging physiologically to our uterus and our reproductive system, probably more significantly to our mind. Yeah, nervous system and nervous mind. system and yeah. mind. And and we've talked before about the three gunas and mm-hmm. how these gunas and the way that energy moved is associated with the mind. Yeah. And really yogic practices are more about the mind. Yeah, totally. Than the body. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's a big topic in itself about the, the different yogic sciences. Yeah, but I still appreciate that we are holding space for this because say for the home practitioner, since this is kind of focus on that, um, you know, reading a sutra and contemplating that is a perfect moon day type of thing. Or go out in nature, spend some time as long as you're not exerting yourself going on a mm-hmm. bold hike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what are some other things that one can do that are not dangerous then? Is there something that just what you're drawn to or Epsom salt bath or yeah, yeah. make like a princess <laughs> oh that's right we want to go into your princess pack princess pack. this is another anneism <laughs> the keyword you know people used to say oh three days ladies holiday you know? so you would just say oh ladies holiday right but sometimes people didn't know what to do on their ladies holiday yeah you know, some mischief would happen. Yeah, and, and the, you know, the ego might want to keep doing something. So doing, what's doing less harmful? Oh, so rest, rest, rest. Yeah. Restorative postures. Yeah. You know, spend time, read your, read your books. Yeah. Be at home, be in nature. Yeah. Don't be out in public a lot, in contact with a lot of other people. Yeah. You know, just yeah. it's time for nurturing. Whatever it is that can nurture you. Yeah. Hear that, ladies? Time to nurture. Nurture. Princess. <laughs> <laughs> Con your inner princess. Yeah. And it, uh, stop the doing so much. <laughs> and so when someone is coming back from their period, some people only take their first three days off. Uh, heavy bleeders take the whole thing off, depending on who it is and who you talk to, of course. Um, but personally, I feel like the phasing back in, instead of jumping straight into my full practice, having that... <clears throat> Discipline, in a sense, <laughs> is really rewarding. Yeah. And um, do you have anything to say about that part? Is, is there any... Not a lot to add to that, but, but the most important part, while, while we're getting into the details, and there, yeah. are, there are other lineages and other practices who abide by these same kind of things. Okay. Kind of the three days, ladies' holiday okay. is kind of a medium prescription. Okay. Right. Yep. There are some women who only bleed for two days and it's done. Yep. There are some women who bleed for eight days or whatever mm-hmm. that is. Yep. The heavy bleeding days are the most important to take completely off. Yep. Once it starts tapering off, mm-hmm. after three days, if you just have a little spotting going on, there's not really a lot going on, mm-hmm. it's fine to, to start your practice again, but exactly what you said, Hansa. Okay. Don't dive back into full, full on program. You take yep. a day or two, you ease in. Yeah. You know, and then you can assess that. Yeah. And that applies to any type of pause in your practice. 
I feel. At least that's yeah. what I usually recommend yeah, absolutely. is to because find your way progression, like yeah. gradually. Yeah. So yeah. some of these extenuating circumstances could also beyond injury. They could be travel. Yeah. A totally. death in the family, an emergency, you know, totally. whatever it is, it's, you drop it. You yeah. do what you need to do. Yeah. And then ease back into it. Yeah. And I just wanted to bring that up because the permission to ease back into it is sometimes what people are wanting. And you need to hear it from someone to yes. feel that it's okay. And so that's why I bring it up. Yes. And this is where, with my students, I get very specific mm. about what their homework is. Cool. My students do not, even though I've been open this whole time during COVID for small classes, mm -hmm. we have live instruction going on here, mm -hmm. um, even before COVID. Um, my students don't come every single day. Yeah. I love them all. <laughs> I love you guys. Yeah. Come once or twice a week and then go home and practice in between. I don't necessarily want to see you every single day. So, <laughs> you know, take what, take what you've been given, go home and practice. Yeah. And there's real growth and real empowerment in that too. I feel like that's something that is cultivating the shraddha in a sense too because you're you're ingraining on every level from the physical to yeah. the subtle and there is there's growth there's in growth and, they, and they become a little explorer yeah and then you can always tell a student who's actually practicing when they've been away oh yeah for sure um, because they'll come back and they'll ask questions yeah more of that thirst that hunger has been provoked and yeah. like the inquiring mind yeah totally <laughs> wants to know so yeah um, it's a very cool thing and it keeps it fresh yes and, and it is a reset so i'm just gonna bring it back around with the menstruation yeah thing there are probably a bunch of young women out there listening to this yeah who are very strong and very capable of doing a lot of physical work, postures, whatever, mm -hmm. even though they're menstruating. And it feels fine, it doesn't bother me. Yep. It's fine. It might feel fine now. <laughs> mm -hmm. But this habit of practicing when you shouldn't be and not honoring that menstruation time yep. can do several things. What, the first thing that might appear is somewhere down the line, you're going to have these periods that sort of start and then stop and then start and then stop and you don't know where you are. Yeah. Right? If you take the time off and follow the protocol, it will be very clear mm -hmm. in, and the leading time will actually be very efficient. Yeah. It will be very clear. And Starting, time. flowing, stopping, yeah. done, yeah. period. Okay? So to speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the other thing that can happen is the cycles will become erratic, yep. not on a regular cycle monthly. They might come and go. Yep. And the third thing, like think ahead, young ladies. Mm -hmm. Menopause is not for wimps. <laughs> so when the cycles start ending, yep. It's going to be a much more graceful process ah. if you have honored them while they were happening. Well, that is an intention in itself. How about that? Yeah. But it's like looking ahead. Yeah. Even if it feels good now. Yeah. It's yeah, like people but... smoking that see repercussions 25 years down the line. Yeah. yeah. And, and also to realize that it's not just about your body. It's about your mind. Yeah nervous system you know in a nervous system what happens with vrittis in the mind if you have this opposing flow of energy the up and down thing trying to go on yeah. it will make you crazy 
it shows more maturity to take your days off when you're bleeding than not. And that, I think that's the message that if you really want to do this for the rest of your life, then that is the way. Absolutely. Yeah. And if, even if you don't want to do this, this formal practice for the rest of your life, if you want to have a healthy reproductive period yeah. in your life and a healthy menopausal period in mm-hmm. your life. Yeah. Well, we need to honor what's going on. Yeah, it's not just yoga practice, exactly. Yeah. It's like not to go on those strenuous hikes on those days. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad that we addressed that because it it's is worth, a contemporary it's absolutely issue. absolutely worth spending time on. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, um, what about motivation that ebbs and flows? And especially right now when people have had a support system, classes in person, physical time with their teacher, um, all of life is kind of uprooted and then you're, you're responsible for your practice at home and motivation is what ebbs and flows and you just can't find your rhythm. Well, but I think that's a really prime opportunity to ask yourself the question, what is my intention anyway? Yeah, absolutely. Why am I doing this? Yeah. And bring back that bigger purpose and it's not just exactly. today that matters. Exactly. Yeah. In the big, bigger picture, um, whatever your practice might be, mm-hmm. you know, is there a clear intention? Yeah. And knowing um, that doing this consistently is going to make it easier. Yeah. And if I keep blowing it off and do it erratically, it's just going to make everything more difficult. Mm-hmm. So that if there is an extenuating circumstance, pain, injury, oddity, whatever it is, that on that day, okay, well, we do a lighter practice. We do less. We spend less time. We do less of it, but we show up and we do something. And that, as you said, Hansa, was like giving ourselves permission to do five or ten minutes. And knowing that that does indeed count. To not discard that. Oh, I'm just doing the Surya Namaskars. What do you mean just? Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's everything is right there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> totally. And also remembering that we're not just doing it for us. Sometimes I need to remember that I am doing it for the benefit of others and not just my closest, but energetically for other living beings. Well, yeah, or but, for me but maybe to be you're not. I mean, not everybody enters into a practice thinking, oh, I'm doing this for the good of humanity. No, that's not you what know, I mean. You, you go into the practice the because you want to get out of pain and whatever that yeah. is. But yeah, true. that also goes into this cycle that we've been talking about mm-hmm. that happens with consistency. Yeah. And this, this happens when you mature in a practice. So if you have been doing something consistently and you keep doing it, yeah. <laughs> even when it doesn't feel good or you don't want to, but you keep doing it. Yeah. Right, you become more efficient at it. Yeah, but it builds faith. Yeah, in the system. Yep. Whatever that is. Yeah. You know, and and sometimes we can have faith in something that we don't understand. Yeah, totally. Sometimes we need to know the science behind it in order to have more faith in it. Yeah. The mind usually. I does. can use as an example. My parents, mm-hmm. the good Catholics, right. And their temporary doubt in what I was doing, you know, they were always so proud of me. Oh, I had a career and I had a job and I was doing all this stuff and I'm doing really well. And then all of a sudden, 
I started going off to India. <laughs> and, and this kind of red flag came up. Oh my God, she's joining a cult. And they were all afraid of, oh my God, she's throwing her career down the toilet. And what will become of our daughter? She was doing so well. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I made it a point in my first few trips to India to make a stop on the way home in Chicago. Ah, smart. Where this is when you could, back in the old days, when you could just walk into an airport and have lunch with someone. Oh, I see. Right, so that they would see me. Yeah. Because I didn't live near them. They would see me in the flesh. Yeah. To reassure them that, Mom, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I gained 10 pounds while I was in India. <laughs> you yeah. know? And I, I could see their relief because they were expecting, oh my God, she's going to come back looking like a skeleton and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, wow, you look pretty good. <laughs> oh, you seem pretty good too. And then I'd go back to visit and we'd have a lovely visit. And this, it didn't take long for them to recognize that whatever it is I was doing over there mm-hmm. was good for me. Yeah. Did they understand the science? No. No. Did they understand any of the methodology or any of this stuff? No. Yeah. But they saw the result in their daughter. Yeah. And sure enough, that their fear very quickly turned into faith. Yeah. That the system was good. Mm-hmm. They never met Guruji. Mm-hmm. They would ask about his welfare. <laughs> right? And make, we said, well, we know once you get to my and you're with Guruji, you'll be fine. They have this incredible, and this, this is an outflow of their faith. Yeah. You know, in their religion and their practices, that mm-hmm. they were able to translate that yeah. into their faith in this other methodology because they recognized the very precious result. They saw that in me, that yeah. this was a good thing. Yeah. So thanks, mom and dad, for your faith. Yeah. <laughs> put that plug in there. Yeah, totally. Right? And it also you have faith in something that you don't understand. And it gave you a permission also that probably fueled you along the way. Because if it would have been resistance there or any kind well, of Well, yeah, and I didn't have to worry about them worrying about me. It was yeah, like, okay. totally. Cool. So, so this faith comes from some consistency, some recognition, mm-hmm. the reference points. And out of that faith comes gratitude. Yeah. Right? Even with, with my parents, they were grateful for Guruji. Yeah. Never met the man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah, he transformed you and their life as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you get consistency in practice. It develops faith. From the faith comes gratitude. And when we start um, having more of those qualities in our human system, mm-hmm then that in turn turns into seva or service. So that when we have true gratitude for something, Mm -hmm. then everything that we do becomes an offering. Yeah, indeed. Right. So this brings it back a little bit to what you said, Hansa, about I'm not doing this just for me, I'm doing it for you know, the good of all, or whatever, when we go back to our own little practice Mm -hmm. that we do as individuals that um, it's very far-reaching, but we might not step into the practice with that intention. Yeah, true. So these things, the faith, the gratitude, the seva, the offering, they are a result Mm. of the practice. Yeah. 
So we need to just get that practice going and keep doing it to whatever extent that is realistic. And these things are the outcome. It's like the eight limbs. You don't sit down and, oh, I'm going to do this now. No. Or practice dharana now. Or (laughs) pratyahara. No. These things all come together as a result of the practice. So whatever lineage it is, if it is authentic, if it's true to its roots, will have these same effects. Yeah. So, you know, you and I can talk in great detail about Ashtanga Yoga. Mm-hmm. But again, I want to bring it back to whoever is listening. Yes. Yeah. It's not just about yoga. No, no, it's not at all. Any, anything at all. And, and it's a beautiful thing when you can expand, you know, in the Sangha. Yeah. And experience other lineages yeah. that are authentic. Absolutely. And have that faith and appreciation for them too, because they're all moving us in the same direction. Absolutely. So that can be another thing to help us show up for our home practice. Yeah. To know it's not just us. Yeah. There are many, many practitioners in the world. Oh, for sure. And if we can have a like the inner circle of people and or teachers who are our support, that if we can reach out to them, yeah. if we can see them live in person, yay. Yeah. Right. If it's not possible to use the telephone, yeah. yay. Mm-hmm. And to be with like-minded individuals, yeah. this is going to help all of our practice. Yeah. You know, they say that the... the the most efficient way to liberation is to just, you know, hang out with a realized being. <laughs> well, if, you know, they're not on every corner. <laughs> so at least we can hang out with like-minded individuals who have similar intentions. Yeah. Um, bounce things by people who are on the same kind of program. Yeah. Get the helpful hints. Even have a support line. I had some students here. It was like really hard for them to practice at home. Mm-hmm. And two of them made a deal with each other. Oh, cool. We're going to be practice buddies. Yeah. We're just going to call each other on those days that we're not in class just to see if we practice. <laughs> I mean, Sometimes yeah, it's what, needed. Yeah, whatever yeah. that little thing is. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, that will work. Yeah. So today, of course, there's Zoom. <laughs> you love that word, don't you? <laughs> Zuma, 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 Zuma. Only if you're from Chicago land will you recognize what that's about. But okay. I know the story, I'm not from there. But okay. anyway, Zoom in today's day and age is yeah. something completely different. It is something completely different. And it, it's a very nice way for many people all over the planet to get together relatively at the same time and support each other. And many teachings are available. Um, and that's all fine and good. Yeah. You know, but as long as we realize it really can't take the place of being there. Yeah. And that if one is trying to practice in sort of a Zoom class, I don't understand how their full attention can be on their practice if they've got their Wi-Fi going in this device and they're looking at a screen. You know, mm-hmm. it's... For me, it's disturbing. Yeah. 
I think there needs to be a balance, but that's just my personal opinion that if, if you do attend those things, it's kind of like to get an infusion of inspiration and yeah. then you go home to your home yeah. practice and you well, apply. What did we do in the old days before Zoom? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. There were some recordings of Guruji. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Guiding primary series or something. Yeah. Right? So at least that was just an auditory thing. You could still maintain your drishti. Yeah. And you can use Zoom that way too. So, you can turn off the screen and yeah, not you have can turn it, off the but, screen. So there, there are options there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm a little wary with, you know, too much techno stuff and waves and stuff going on. And absolutely, it can be a benefit to get people motivated, to get people connected, yeah. all kinds of stuff going on out there. Yeah. So yay for that. And it doesn't really take the place of being there. Yeah. And that's why Sangha in any type of... Yeah, if you can meet with a six-foot distance or whatever it is, even if it's just a few people, that seems more beneficial. Or what would you think in that regard? Well, absolutely. Yeah. And we had a, a lengthy discussion the other day about the three gunas mm -hmm. and how energy affects us as human beings and yeah. how other human beings affect us. Yeah. And that can be helpful or not helpful. Yeah. And that we get to be discriminating. Yeah. So we get to be discriminating with live interaction with human beings and we get to be discriminating as well with these devices that we use all the time yeah you know and we we need to remember that there's an off button yeah it's an important part and that's yeah. the part of that responsibility of bringing it home it's for you yeah and it's not for show yeah and that's a big piece of it but it's it like is. any tool. It's like any device. You can use it as a tool. You can use it as a weapon. And you just need to know how to, yeah. how to have a boundary. And it can be very interesting just watching. Totally. You know, um, the Byron Katie teachings of who would I be without my story. Yeah. You know, another facet of that is who would I be without my audience? Yeah. Oh, that's a potent one for contemporaries. <laughs> I feel like a lot of it, you know, is performance. But again... For someone that needs that outlet, I'm just hoping that it serves their purpose and then they go home and they, you know, there's something that's still, they've been planted a seed within them somewhere yeah. at some point. So, yeah. to sum all that up, yep. what I would say is, <laughs> we all need to do what works. Yeah. And less is more sometimes. Less is more. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes more is more. Yeah. We need to discern that. Yeah. Right. And we need... To give ourselves permission to do less. Yeah. Sometimes we need to give ourselves permission to do more. Yeah. Sometimes we need to give ourselves permission to do nothing. Yeah. Whatever is appropriate. Yeah. Is what's going to work. So it's really being coherent and being present with being yourself. This yeah. is all mindfulness. Yeah. And again, Harakam Babaji's teaching of can we just live in truth, simplicity, and love? Yeah. That, that kind of says it all. Truly. You know, mm -hmm. and um, not complex, not rocket science, but not always easy to live. Yeah. All the time. So. Well, who said it was going to be easy? This is exactly. what life is for, I feel. Exactly. You know, when we find this balance, it's, it's truly a good navigator through life. If we can apply it to one thing, then we it can start to apply it to another type of practice in our life. And then it just kind of, like you said, it well, leads into it, everything. It does that very organically. Yeah. So it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Okay, okay what else, Ms. Hansa? Jai Ma. Um, We're going to 
been yakking a while now. <laughs> well, I guess my only other thing is calls to action because people might want to start working with you if they don't have a practice, but we can't necessarily move about as we have been because of COVID. Um, can they call you? How do they get in touch? All of that good stuff. Um, please share. You've asked me this before. <laughs> and the answer is the same. <laughs> Dial. <laughs> Plus one. Yep. <laughs> 719-256-5668. Yep. Um, call me on the telephone. I have been teaching live, small classes, private, semi-private work, um, phone consults. You know, things change pretty quickly. Yeah. Who knows what the, by the time this podcast actually goes out there, I don't know what the situation will be. So it's yep. always good to call. Yeah. Website is there. It's easy. They yep. know how to do that. Yeah, I'll put all the information in the show notes too. So, thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing your wisdom. Thank you, Hansa. Appreciate it. Namaskar. Namaskar. So to sum this all up. In a very Anapace-like way, <laughs> I would invite you to take a golden nugget or two or three. Take 1% of the conversation. Whatever you felt resonated, whatever you feel inspired or ignited by, take it. It's yours. It's a gift. Take it to heart and apply it in your practice. And then observe and witness how it has ripple effects in your life. Just like Annie said, these things are not rocket science. However, it's not always easy. And the reason why I wanted to have this conversation today is because a lot of people are faced with having to take the responsibility of their practice and having to nurture it at home. And so with this conversation, I hope that you feel that one, you're not alone. Two, you have support. Just reach out if you need it to us or your sangha or your teacher, wherever you are. And also knowing that there are other people out there dealing with exactly the same type of stuff might help. We need to take life less seriously. And especially when it comes to practice, we have the permission to explore our practice with curiosity. You have permission to listen to your own intuition and to be guided by the practice itself. I hope that these tools and elements of practice that we discussed, that they help nurture your journey and your inner deep dive. And so sit with this, apply it, and watch what happens. And yeah, until next time. Om Tat Sat. <laughs>